Hi all, Teddy Tannenbaum, back for another edition of the Teddy Talk podcast. Today's episode is with Pamela Lifford. At the time of this recording, Pam was president of Warner Brothers Consumer Products Division. Our conversation meandered from the beginnings of Pam's career in apparel to the various high-profile companies she has worked at and the mentors and lessons she has encountered along the way. One of the themes of the conversation is Pam talking about the importance of showing up consistently with enthusiasm and a willingness to participate. It's very much how I knew her at the Walt Disney Company, where she had nothing short of a meteoric rise. Listen for the choices Pam has made the courage she has had in how building relationships got her a seat at the table. Towards the end, I asked Pam about her observation of the evolution of black women in the workplace. The conversation shifted from career path in work to her career path in life. I was humbled by her retelling of childhood experiences with other kids at school and with her father at home, and how that, and how that has further shaped the choices she makes as a leader to this day. Perhaps a couple of weeks after Pam and I spoke, I read in the paper that her job had changed, gotten even bigger. She was now president of Warner Brothers Global Brands and Experiences, of which Consumer Products is a part. Big job, big talent. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Teddy Tannenbaum here with another edition of the Teddy Tannenbaum Teddy Talk podcast. Our theme is meetings with remarkable people, lessons in leadership and life. And today I'm hanging out with my longtime pal, Pam Lifford. Pam is currently the president of Warner Brothers Consumer Products Division. They're the folks that monetize all the intellectual property of Warner Brothers coming to a local store near you. That's what she does. Just as interesting as what Pam does is who Pam is. And that's some of what we want to explore today. So welcome, Pam. Thanks so much for taking time out of your very busy, I'm sure, schedule to uh, spend a little time chatting about leadership and life. Never too busy for you. Remember, we're all pals. That's right. We're all pals. <laughs> and that's why Pam even agreed to take some time out to talk to me. It's true. Um, yeah. No, but thank you for, I mean, what an honor, um, uh, truly. And I mean that, uh, to think that you think I'm one of those remarkable people. So um, it's a pleasure to be here. Cool. So one of, the, one of the themes, evidently, of these podcasts is that uh, most people have said to me, really? I'm remarkable? I said, well, you are now. <laughs> What we're doing is saying it out loud. Right. <laughs> if you say it, they'll believe it. So let's start out. Most folks listening probably don't know you. So tell us a little about your background, education, kind of how you, a little bit of your early career path. Yeah. So uh, I was born in Evanston, Illinois. And I say that proudly, uh, although I left at the age of four. And, uh, but I went back every summer until I was 13 years old. And the reason why um, that's important is is because I feel like I'm from the Midwest. Mm -hmm. You know, my upbringing, the guidance um, was really rooted in that. And uh, I got to stay with my godparents who were really like second parents. And um, I, you know, uh, it allowed for me to have an extended um, uh, stay with the rest of my family that was left behind when we migrated to California. So... Uh, I moved to California. Uh, I lived in Los Angeles for like uh, about a year. And then we moved to Camarillo. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I am different. from really different. Um, uh, and we moved here in 1969. So you can imagine Ventura was lemon orchards and uh, uh, drainage fields. You know, we used to be chased by um, what are those? Um, the big, huge uh, when the wind blows, tumbleweeds. Tumbleweed. You know, as we were, you know, playing outside. So yeah, great, great childhood. Um, but I ended up in the San Fernando Valley after that, and that's kind of where I spent most of my young adult life. Um, you know, I, I, uh, because I went to summer school um, up until I was 13, because that was part of the criteria with my dad, you can go um, visit your godparents, but you got to go to summer school. So I was one of those kids who felt like she was always going to school. <laughs> year-round. Yeah, year-round. And um, the criteria for my godparents was, which is why this is really important, uh, they were um, tailors and seamstress for, um, they did customized um, clothing for, uh, you know, working people and, and well-off um, individuals. And so every summer I had to participate in this big, huge fashion show that she presented um, to the community. And I never understood it, you know, uh, until later, uh, what an impression that made in my life and how it really sort of started me in what I considered to be, um, you know, the consumer products industry. So um, uh, because I went to school so much, I was a little ahead of most kids. Uh Uh, And so I I got back then they called them, you know, special uh, classes. So English, English history, science and mathematics. Advanced levels. Advanced levels. Right. And so I skipped the sixth grade. Eh, highly overrated. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and uh, I went to junior high school, which back then for sure was like seventh and eighth grade. So I was a young kid in seventh and eighth grade, but you know, somewhat mature. And I'm in these classes that they forced me to be in because that was part of the criteria. Uh, and I had to get at least a C plus, or they would transfer me back to grade school. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> right? So skip a grade with on probation. Yeah, on probation, right? And um and so but what I found was that all of those years of going to summer school really paid off and school became more and more easy. Um and so uh with that said, uh I got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> And when I say, yeah, I found time for trouble. And trouble Uh, found time for you, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, and when I say trouble, trust me, my father was from the Midwest. Okay, so you knew, you know, where the boundaries were. But I literally would push it right to the edge. And uh, I figured I got good grades, you know, and, you know, so I was a good kid. Yeah, if if you got the grades, you get a pass. Yeah. Um, So, you know, fast forward, um, I... Because of all of the schooling and what have you, when I got into high school, by the time I got to junior high, I mean to, sorry, 11th grade, I had all of my credits and I only had to attend school half a day. And my father was one of those guys. He said, you know, if you don't go to summer school, you have to work. You will not. Idle time is an idle mind. And uh, so I started working. I realized that I had this thing for clothing. And so I wanted to look good and um, and working in a clothing store would do that. So by the time I, I finished high school, I actually was a store manager and um, I was good at sales. Yeah. And so now the problem is, do I go to college or do I start my career? Mm. Mm. 
And my parents were like, you're going to college. <laughs> you've got the grades. You've been accepted. Let's move forward. And I said, Dad, you know, not really. You can just, like, let me go to Trade Tech. It's right there downtown. It's almost free. And uh, I, they have fashion classes and what have you. So um, anyway, a long story short, we got to do that. And part of the criteria was that I could not work. I had to take no work, full-time school. Right. A year and a half later, I had to do an intern program. Big mistake. <laughs> and uh, and so I left to do an intern pr program, and I never, never came back. back. Yeah. So I, I say that only to say that, um, you know, uh, everyone has their own journey. And um, I highly believe in education. Uh, I took classes to advance my career but I took classes that were very specific in what I wanted to learn. But I believe that I am a student of life. And my experiences and working from the bottom up, I actually started in the warehouse clipping threads. Mm. And, um, and I took that job really seriously because it was, I had the opportunity that the garments that I, I, you know, made sure look pretty when they got to the retail store, and these were really expensive retail stores back then, I was going to be the last person that touched that product. And the first impression was everything. Yeah. So I took it seriously. I had a lot of responsibility. I had a lot of responsibility, <laughs> clipping threads in the warehouse, right? Um, I don't know what I got paid minimum wage, you know, but it was it was a great job. And, uh, and, and, no, and no college debt. And no college debt, right? Um, lucky me. So I advanced... Um, you know, uh, in which, you know, the, the, the next part of what I would love to say is mentorship is really important. I had an owner of a company who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. What was and, that? And that was just my, my willingness, right, to give my very best in everything, even if the job didn't seem like a great job. And... Um, and because of that, she started to give me more attention, independent attention. And she would say to me things like, mm, I think you could do this over here. And I go, no, I don't really know how to do that. Mm, you'll figure it out, right? And, and by the time I left six years later, I ran her entire pr production um, group. I had been you know, uh, a shipping supervisor. I actually picked up garments. I ended up being their quality control manager. I hired contractors downtown. I educated them. I was, you know, I knew how to make patterns and I knew how to grade so I could oversee um, that side of the business. So there was a lot of things that transpired over that six years. And then I said to her, hmm, I think I need a raise and I need to be paid X, Y, Z. And she said, really? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she said, well, you know, what, how do you, how do you, why well, did you decide on that number? I said, I did my research and I know what this job is worth. She said, I can't do it. And I said, why? And she said, because you grew up here, you're a baby. I was like 20, 20, 21. And, um, and I said, okay. And uh, I went out and found a job. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Six months later, she called me and she said, you know what? I just want to say one thing to you. I wish I had a chose you. And I said, why is that? She said, because the difference between, because you're right, I had to pay that. But the difference between you and what I've gotten is I had someone who also cared. Right? 
It's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? So it's it's a couple of themes in there. One is how you do something uh, equal to or more important than what you're actually doing, right? Yeah. How, you, how you show up every day. And one of the themes that I've been hearing in these podcasts from the leaders I've been speaking with is this thing of, I call it getting tapped on the shoulder. Mm. Someone saw something in you and said, hey, you should go for this, or you could do this, you could do that. And that starts people out on a whole other level of their career that they hadn't planned on, mm-hmm. right? Because who who goes into the early part of their career thinking, I've got this grand idea, step by step by step yeah. by step. But things unfold. Mm-hmm. So the courage that you had, the belief in yourself to say, no, I'm, I've done my research. I know what I'm worth. Mm-hmm. You want Pemby? I'll go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Th- you don't always get the validation. It's true. You don't get the validation. And we're still friends. Even better. Yeah. Right? So apparel was your gateway in to yes. consumer products. I know you ended up, uh, you were with Roadrunner for a while. Uh-huh. And then Nike. Tell us about that period. Yeah. So... Um Nike, I, I worked with, a, I actually worked um, when I got recruited to Nike, I was working for Woolworth Corporation. And for those people who don't remember Woolworth, <laughs> they used to be the largest um, uh, uh, conglomerate of specialty athletic retail stores. They own Foot Locker, going to the game, they own a lot of stores. And I worked for one of the subsidiaries called Kidsmart Little Folk Shop. And it was a kid's uh, version of a lot of the other stores that they owned. And they had 550 stores. And I was um, their product development person. And I got to travel around the world doing so. Nike tapped me on the shoulder. And uh, you have to imagine that, you know, I'm in the younger part of my career. And the most, you know, the, the brand I love most. And I, you know, I was an athlete. I, um, so, you know, working for Nike was a big deal. And they called and said, you know, uh, we've been doing this program for the last few years, and we actually track people. And you were tracked. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's <laughs> a little freaky, this, right? Long before technology yeah, was tracking everything. Yeah, long before that. That, you know, people come up and then they sort of follow loosely um, their career path. And, um, and, you know, we would love to talk to you. And I said, well, I would love to talk. So, you know, they fly you out. This is the thing you have to know. They fly you out, you know, to Portland. Uh, during the summertime. That's when they recruit. Of course, that's recruiting days. That's right. It's so beautiful. You can't even imagine, you know. uh, Seduced immediately. Oh, totally. And then you drive up to that campus and you go, wow, I have arrived, right? How much do you want, uh, you know, when do you want me to be there? Because I basically (laughs) work for free. Um, So... uh, they uh, they make you go through this, at least back then, this long interview process. I had to go- interview with 16 people. And uh, and so they had you stay over the weekend and what have you. And they called me back. I went home. They called me back a couple of weeks later because, you know, it's like a, a pause. And uh, they said, okay, we would love to have you come here. The The challenge is we really don't have for a job for you right this second. Okay. They said, so we just want to know if you're interested, we're interested. And we believe that by the time you get here, there will be a place for you. So clearly they knew something I didn't. So I had to take a leap, right? And uh, I had just bought a house, my very first house. Um, A lot was going on in my life. And I said, okay, I'm, you know, I'm in. I left my boyfriend. I mean, everything, right? (laughs) (laughs) Caterpillar uh, sheds a skin and finds a butterfly You know, what can I say? I thought it was on the West Coast. It was only three hours by plane, you know? So I wasn't going too far. Um, 
But, you know, two weeks before I got there, they called me and they said, so we've figured out what it is that you're going to do. And I said, okay, what's that? And they said, well, you're going to run hockey, the (laughs) (laughs) product development for hockey. And there's a three-man team. And I said, really? I said, hockey. I said, you do understand what I look like, right? (laughs) I was going to say, it's such a... And they said, yeah, we're very aware. I said, okay, well, um, so I get there. (laughs) It's funny, right? It It gets better. I get there and they said, okay, so there's three of you. This guy named Stan Wong, and I and he's from Canada. I was like, thank God, a Canadian, Canadian right? right? <laughs> At least I know someone, you know. And clearly, his name is Wong, so he's you know Asian, right? right? And um, and then a guy named Dave Turner, who Dave Turner I worked with at Hobie Apparel because I was in the surf industry for a long time, and um, but you have to know, Dave is this tall, you know, lanky you know, cowboy with two tight jeans on and a cowboy hat and really long hair. And then you've got, you know, Stan, and then you've got Pam Lifford, the black woman, right? <laughs> and we were going to be in charge. They said, listen, this, the, you know, we've, we've got all the, um, you know, the licenses for the federation, for, you know, um, all of the groups. And your job, the three of you, is to create a strategy that enhances the athlete's performance through products. So you're going to spend a lot of time with them. And then the other piece of it is that you need to then make hockey relevant to the street. We're like, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Just the expression on your face right now, recalling that moment, priceless. Right? I'm like, okay. Well, you have to know that it's, it's, you know, especially back in the 90s, it was, it's a very serious sport. And they did not take us seriously. <laughs> they were pretty pissed off at Nike, actually. <laughs> but it was one of the best moments of my life. And so that just do it mentality yeah. um, is really who, I don't know if, if that's clearly who they are today, but that is the fiber of what they do. Right. And um, it was huge for me. I learned how to do something I had no idea how to engage myself into. And I ended up liking, you know, hockey. And I hung out with a bunch of hockey Hockey players. players. You know, how could you lose? (laughs) (laughs) The unexpected twists and turns of a career. Yeah. Who would have thought that was going to happen? So you had some success there? Yeah. You know, we we made hockey jerseys relevant. Um, There was a period of time in the mid-90s that uh, hockey jerseys were worn everywhere. Rappers wore them. Branded manufacturers were doing replicas of of hockey jerseys, and and so that was sort of our claim to fame. And uh, besides getting to go to you know the Olympics and um, and having our jerseys be on the Olympic team, and uh, so that Very was cool. pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, your career at Nike did it extend past that? What else did you do? No, there? so um, I uh, went to a Christmas party, and. Uh, all day long, they were threatening us that there was going to be a black ice storm. And I was like, okay, well, you know, because you have to know, since I'd been there, I was there for two and a half years. Since I'd been there, every time I turned around, you know, the weather was really terrible. <laughs> and if I felt like I was in a black cloud all the time, and except for during the summer. And I started noticing everybody did their business trips during the winter. And I was like, well, how did you, like, manage that, right? I thought you had to do your business trips when – your business trips are supposed to be, right? And uh, so I remember coming home that night 
And we got stuck on the five freeway from the Christmas party at two o'clock in the morning. Mm. And they shut down the freeway. It was freezing cold. People had to figure out how to slip across the ice to go to the bathroom, what have you. I got home that morning at about four, uh, about five o'clock, and I called my mom and said, that's it. I've had it. I'm leaving. Can't take it anymore. <laughs> I'm from California. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Uh, a woman after my own heart. I get all the news I need on the weather report. Yes, exactly. So how did you get back to California? So I went to um, the head of the division for apparel, and I said, you know, I love this company, and uh, but I, I, I want to go home. And, uh, and he said, okay, let me try to find a job for you. And uh, luckily, I had performed, right? So people were willing to help me. Sure. And they really didn't want to lose me, um, actually. And uh, that was very nice. And so we couldn't find the right fit um, that fit my salary or my skill level. And, uh, and so Roadrunner Sports came, which was in San Diego. And I go, okay, San Diego is better than nothing. And uh, I got recruited to go to San Diego. And then um, my real journey began. So- I'll, Tell us about that. Well, you know, I the real journey. I drove for um, for four years. I drove to and from San Diego, two hundred and seventy four miles a day, uh, four and a half to five hours of driving time, and um, and that's when my life changed. Because if you, so I need you to know the first year, because I owned this house and had been main, maintaining two households, I was poor, right? <sighs> And, um, and I would go home on the weekends and I realized that my first year I had to stay put. So I, I did stay put, you know, in an apartment and, and then, um, you know, when I came back to California, the world had changed in terms of the apparel industry, the downtown had, you know, shriveled up right. and, um, and so jobs, I never had a problem finding a job. It was now hard to find a job. And I thought this was going to be a stepping stone to get me back to my my home in LA. And um but that was my idea. And other people had different ideas. That wasn't the man upstairs idea. Uh-huh. And there's always a bigger plan. And there's always a bigger plan. And so he cleansed me during that period of time. Okay. Because if you have to drive um, 274, 274 miles round trip every day. And you don't have anything to do but think um, about your life and something bigger than you. And I can remember times where I literally would wake up. I was so tired because I worked 12, 13 hours a day. I would um, get up at 4 in the morning. I'd be on the freeway by 5 o'clock. And I would get home that night at 7, 8 o'clock at night. Um that's no way to live a life. Huh? It, yeah. And so on the weekend, Saturday was my sleeping day. And Sunday, the only thing I could muster up the energy for was to go to church. And, um, and so I did. And uh, that literally was the thing that saved me, you know, as I commuted. There were times I couldn't even remember how I got home. I was so tired. So I... Um, I walked into, uh, I, at that time, I was a product development person and a buyer for a, a, a large footwear specialty company, and, um, and they were um, catalog, so the today's internet, right? And um, I 
was at New Balance mm -hmm. uh, doing business with them. And I walked in the bathroom and this woman came in and she said, you know, can I say something? And I said, sure. And she said, um, there's these Nike people over at Disney. They're just started there. And uh, they're looking for people. And I thought you might be interested. And I said, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> now, did I just tell you that I cried myself to work <laughs> at home? I said, I've interviewed with them and we're just not the right fit. They don't understand what I do, mm -hmm. right? And she said, okay, but don't you commute? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. And she goes, well, okay. do you know these guys, Roger and Andy? And I said, uh, Roger Wyatt. And she said, yeah. And she goes, and Andy Mooney. She goes, well, they're, the, you know, they're heading it up over there. Why don't I just tell them to give you a call? I said, okay. Fast forward. Um, I got a phone call and uh and uh from HR and we kind of had a little chat and I I was still thinking this wasn't going to be a right fit. And so I said, "Well, I tell you what. Tell Roger, why doesn't he check me out? And if he checks me out and he thinks that I, you know, could, you know, be this could be a good fit, have him call me." Roger calls me who I adore. Of course. Who is one of my mentors, actually. And um, he called me and he said, well, I checked you out. <laughs> he said, which is pretty bold on your part. And I said, I just thought it'd be easier. <laughs> and he said, and my inner circle knows you. He goes, but we've never crossed paths. He said, and if my inner circle knows you and gives you the high sign, then you have the Hollywood sign. Yeah. And that's literally how I got to Nike. Yeah. I mean, to, 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 Disney. to Disney. And that's where I met you. Yes. <clears throat> and that's where we met. And uh, As you of course, helped mold me into this great executive that I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we all got to work with Roger and Andy. Yes, we which did. Which was just great fun. <laughs> great fun. So at Disney, you had a variety of different roles. Yes. Let's talk more about the, the leadership parks. You really... You, you evolved into a really, what I saw as a really great senior leader there, someone who mentored others, who had vision, who had courage. So I'm just curious, can you tell us a little about your journey there and, and what you learned about leadership, some of the key lessons? Yeah. Well, um, again, you know, the tap on the shoulder. Um, in fairness, um, I believe a lot of things are about um, how you show up. And so I showed up every day. Um, in a really challenging environment because they were making a huge transition. Absolutely. With enthusiasm and willingness to participate, right? And I say participate because it was less about what was in it for me and more about how I could um, be of service, right, in our journey. And, um, and that went a long way. Uh, and so I started to get tapped on the shoulder and, um, you know, I was the fastest growing executive at the Walt Disney company. I went from director to EVP in six years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's because when there was an, a, a, a need, I was willing to say, okay, I'll try. Right. It's it's being tapped on the shoulder and also taking the initiative to see yes. that something needs to be done and willingness to go ahead and do yes. it. Yes. 
Yes. And then you, you have to understand that I am, by nature, a really good people person. I am my mother's child. Yes, you are. And, and uh, your sister's sister. And my sister's sister, that's for sure. And so that's my natural gift. And um, and my mom said a little thing to me, um, kind of derailing. When I was going to be promoted from director to vice president, I was having real angst about it because you have to know I had been a director in the industry for about 11 years, which is a very long time. Most people would want to have been a VP That's by right. then. But I was always maneuvering upward and with more scope, but- um, Not always with title. Not, 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 not always with title. And for me, that was a safe zone because- I didn't quite have to deal with the higher level of politics. And the complexity. And the complexity. And I got to do what I did best. And so she said, why are you so challenged by this decision? And I said, because of just what I said to you. And she said, honey, what are you really good at? She said, besides your job. I said, people. She said, exactly. So while they're playing politics, you just do what you do always, and that's navigate and maneuver your 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 uh, business uh, through relationships, because relationships are everything. And that doesn't mean that you will get what you need or what you always want, but it'll always give you a voice at the table. And so, that's what I did. That's what you did, yeah. There, there's a there's an interesting balance of People who will build relationships in the course of getting tasks done. Yeah. And then folks who get tasks done by the strength of their relationship building. Yeah. Right? There's this kind of constant dynamic tension between yes. those two things. It is harder to teach people, to coach people, mentor people on the people skills yeah. than it is on the technical or task skills. So if you have the people emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. we call it now interpersonal acumen, it does get you a seat at the table. Yeah. It gives you a little bit of runway. Yeah. Because, you know, not only that, um, when your name is used in a, you know, in a way and that's not in line with the character of how people know you or see you, you get a question mark before people assume whether or not um, that's really, they can't be talking about Pam, that's not my experience. And, right? And so it was always important for me to show up consistently um, I am by nature a collaborative person. Mm -hmm. I started off saying that, but I'm highly competitive. So that's a real sort of balance. Yeah. Andy and Roger were very insistent on hiring really competitive people. Yeah. They wanted to compete in the various industries they were running, not necessarily with each other. Exactly. Right. So, you know, I was a sprinter and the relay was part of my, my thing, right? And how you pass that baton, the amount of training that um, we all, you know, uh, uh, took on to pass it, to to be able to make sure that you knew the stride of the person you were receiving or passing to, and to know what your position was, how you rounded out the winning team. Right. What your role was what on that team. What your role was on that team. Yeah was so important. That's how I play the work game. Yeah. I know what my role is. I'm very you know, conscious of who I'm passing to and how I'm receiving. receiving it, right. 
in, in those consistent transitions, yeah. th- that's where strategy really comes into into being is when you have an idea of what you're trying to do and then the mechanics of how do we get it from here to there? Yeah. I got the vision. The vision says I'm going there. How do I get from here to there? You have to have a certain level of self-awareness to know where you're at, how to manage your energy yeah. from where you're at. And then how do I get from here to there? And collaborative is one of the skills that obviously you bring to the table doing that. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, I have, um, the ability to be able to see more than just the task given. And I guess a lot of people call that visionary skills. Um, and so I can, um, I can be all in uh, right from the beginning if I understand what the vision is. Right. And, and a lot of people can't unless they understand, they can literally see how they're going to play a role in it. And I'm more free flowing. I just kind of let it happen, and um, and when I let it happen, not without you know uh, consciousness, right? But when I let it happen, I realize that always, always, the best good for me is going to show and reveal itself. And so I am always trusting in something bigger than me. Right. That and that that alone takes a certain amount of courage. Mm. Because you're going to take some steps and you're not going to know exactly what's going to happen when you take those steps. You're informed a little bit intuitively from your past experience. Yeah. But at the same time, no, I don't know what's going to happen here. It just feels like the right thing to do based on my prior experience. So when you have a position of leadership like you did at Disney, like you do now at Warner Brothers, I'm curious about how do you grow the next generation of leaders? Mm. What's what's your what's your take on that? Especially because the workplace has changed, right? Yeah. You've been in the workplace since you were quite young. You're still quite young. Thank you for that. <laughs> and and so you've seen so much change in the industry, in technology, in the workplace. Curious, especially you know being a woman in the workplace, yes. because there's an evolution that's taken place as far as that goes as well. So I'm just curious for your thoughts on that. Yeah. So. Um, I have a couple of policies um, here, uh, which I am always told that um, it's unique. I I think it's natural. My office is always open. Um, I meet every intern that comes to this building, every new hire, um, and no matter what level they are. I am friendly with the people who clean the building, to the security guards. Um, I'm visible. I am available. I think that's one of the things that are important because I think the younger generation, they don't believe in levels as, as right. in the way in which we do. Right. And so, um, you know, in order for me to have them want to be a part of my vision and to trust, um, right, I have Spot to on. be available. Right. And sure, you know, they'll respect that when you set the boundaries of what, what that looks like. Um, so that's one. The other thing is I believe in training. Um, people have to know how you want your organization to navigate. Right. And um, you can't always expect that people will just get it on their own. Yeah. I always say no one has a glass forehead. No. You can't just look and they go, oh, I know exactly what you're thinking. No problem. Take care of it. Yeah. No, you got to be articulate you, about it. You do. 
So um, giving them skills, um, helping them with training uh, so that they can become leaders in the organization, investing time and energy in them. Uh, that's important. The other thing is um, I am a hands-on um, leader. Some people like it. Some, some people, people don't. don't. <laughs> you know, there, it's a continuum, right? Your hands are on it until you're considered a micromanager. Exactly, right? right? So where's that balance Yeah. There? Well, you know, I never – so um, I want to hold people accountable. And the only way you can hold people accountable is to know when to let go. And so it's always very clear that you own it. And we can debate it, and I can give you an opinion. But if you really believe in that opinion, that and that's the direction you want to go, and as long as it doesn't you know, cause any real angst in the organization, I, I, you're going to do that. And you get the success and the failure. And the failure, I'll pick you up, brush you off, and we'll move forward. But you're going to own it. And all of the things that come with that. That's, you're, in a sense, you're helping people mature right there in the workplace. Because you know what? I can't be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. It's no over, fun. Highly overrated. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like that's, that sweet spot of being a director. Mm. You go, okay, hey, I can, I can not just survive it. I can thrive here. If I go to VP... Well, you know, I might survive, but I not I might not thrive. Yeah. Right. So, how do you, you you take that step and you trust? And when you bring people along and say, "Look, here's the deal," you own it. Yes. Right. Accountability is everything. Everything. And it starts with building trust. If people don't trust you, if people don't see that you do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Right. Then they'll always have one little, you know, eye open, different ear open, different. And they're just not really, it's hard for them to buy in. It's true. Right? So when you show up, you know, you're going to say, hey, this is, this is the level we play at here. I would say, do what you say, say what you mean. Yeah. Right? And if you do that, then there's usually very little question um, with who you are. Yeah. I, it, it always rubs me a little bit the wrong way when, when uh, people say something and someone challenges them. They say, well, that's not what I meant. Well, that's what you said. That's right. <laughs> so I don't really care what you meant. That's Clarity what you is said. everything. Clarity is everything, right? No glass forehead that's there. That's right. That's right. Uh, talk about the evolution of uh, of a woman, a woman of color in the workplace, yeah. especially in entertainment. Because you iconic brands, right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of conversation today, right, with Me Too and diversity and inclusion. And so- you know, it's it's um, it's something, unfortunately, that you know every you know forty years or so we have to have this dialogue, and um, and so with that said, um, I need to make sure that I am now that now now even more so. That as I evolve and as these conversations come up, in a position like mine, I have to be willing to speak my truth. Yes. And so, <laughs> excuse me, I have a different truth than a lot of people because I was fortunate enough to grow up in, in different environments at a very young age. So I said I moved to Camarillo. We were the second black family in Camarillo. 
I was chased. I was beat up. I was called nigger. And I'm going to say that word because it's really important. I, um, I was, I was harassed, bullied, all of those things. And I remember my dad, um, my dad, you know, he was a great guy. He's now passed. Uh, my parents had done everything. They'd gone to the school. They've had conversations. They, you know, picked me up, you know, dropped me off, everything. But you have to know my little community that I lived in, which was a cul-de-sac, we were this hodgepodge of just great people. And we had learned to create our own little family. And so my exposure to people who didn't look like me was positive in the environment that I lived in. But when I went to school, it was a different story. Mm -hmm. So my dad, um, one day I came home just boohooing, right? And uh, I told him the story and he said, okay. He said, so I need you to go to my closet and get my belt. And I said, what? You know? He said, I need you to go to the closet and get my belt. So I did. And I'm like, you know, I'm to the point, you know, right. I'm like, <laughs> you know, shaking. shaking, right? And so I do. And he says, and I want you to put it on the edge of that couch right there. And I did. Now, the edge of the couch was by the front door. He said, so listen, you know, daddy loves you. And I said, yes. He said, but baby, I've done everything I can. And so now it's up to you. He said, and if you go to school tomorrow and you come home in the state that you're in today, that belt, that's what you're going to get when you walk in this house. Wow. Now, most people are going to listen to that story and they're going to go, what a horrible dad. Well, I got to tell you, yeah. my dad was the best dad ever. And I knew he loved me. And my mom, you know, at that moment, she she too had to take a pause. So I got up the next morning. She made me look beautiful, right? I'll never forget it. I had my favorite dress on. My hair was adorable. Um, and I put my back then black Latin, I um, mean, black patent leather shoes with the little heel. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I, she drops me off at school and she tells me to have a great day. Sure enough. By, uh, you know, the recess period, the guy, his name is Billy. Billy, if you're out there, right. I forgive you. Um, Even better. <laughs> we, uh, we had an encounter, him and all his buddies, and all I could think about was that belt waiting for me. Great incentive. Get great incentive. <laughs> I took off those shoes, and I beat the you-know-what out of Billy. <laughs> and... Um, I, I can't even remember, but clearly I won. <laughs> <laughs> and you came home victorious and, and, and proud. You know, this is the part that is even um, more beautiful. We got sent to the principal's office. Billy was in there uh, for a long time first. He came out, tears, what have you. And the principal looked at me, he said, and he pointed to me and he said, Miss Lifford, I'd like to see you in, in my office. And I sat down, I'm thinking, now I'm going, I'm really in trouble, right? I don't think my parents meant that, right? <laughs> and uh, so I sat down and he, he leaned into me and he said, are you okay? And I said, yes, I am, sir. And he said, okay. He said, well, your parents are on their way to get you. He said, and you will be leaving the school today. He said, 
But what I need you to know is Billy will never be returning. He's expelled from my school. He said, and I just want you to know how proud I am of you, that you finally stood up for yourself. He said, and the reason your parents are picking you up today is because you get the rest of the day off. I was like, wow, right? See, in that story is so many different things. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the okay. You know what I'm saying? It's all there. The neighborhood I lived in vis-a-vis the bully, right? Um, You know, the fact that my parents did everything that they could, but my father, like, standing in something that he probably hated to do to his his baby girl. I mean, there's so many things there. So with that said, that's the place I come from. And I've had other experience like that through my life. But here I am, this black female who my understanding is... I'm the first black female president ever in the Warner Brothers organization. And so I don't know, you know? And people ask me, like, how do you feel when you walk into a room where there may be all white men? And I said, you know, like I'm supposed to be there. That is my truth. And, And that's the gift that your father gave you. Yeah. Is the right to belong. That's right. You know, um, one other quick thing that he said to me, uh, which pertains to that, we I was 15 years old. He loved to drive. We went for a drive. I sat in his car. He said, he used to call me girl. So girl. Now, I have brothers and sisters, right. but, you know, I was a baby by nine years, so a lot of our time was, you know, without them. That's right. <laughs> and, um, and so he said, how, he goes, what color are you? And I said, Daddy, really? I'm 15, right? That's the right. point. Um, he said, I said, I'm black. And he said, okay. He said, and what are you? Are you a man, a girl, boy? What are you? I said, I'm a girl, Daddy. And he said, okay. He said, so this is the first and the last time we're going to ever have this conversation. And he said, all that means is you might run, need to run a little faster, jump a little higher to get to the starting line. But once you're there, you're equal to everyone else. So to your point, what that gave me was my preparation may be different than others. My commitment to the starting line might have to be a little different. But at the end of the day, when we're all starting out, I'm just like everybody else. So I know racism exists. I've experienced it. I see it regularly. I don't engage in it. And because to engage allows people to have power over me. I've been there too. And so I'm just trying to navigate this thing called life in the way in which it serves something bigger than me and can be an example for other people. And I'm really proud to be here. And um, yeah, it gives me chills when I think about it because, you know, I was chosen. Clearly your, your role, your responsibility, who you are and how you show up has the potential to inspire and motivate so many others 
who are on the path just in your shadow, right? So that's a whole other level of responsibility. Mm. And there's nothing, in a sense, what I'm hearing from you is there's nothing that I do. It's more about how I be. Mm. How do I show up? That will speak louder than anything that you do. Mm-hmm. Boy, I have so much more I want to talk to you about. Let me just see how we're doing on. Yeah. Oh, man. Man. We're way over, aren't we? Yeah, oh, we are. Oh, man. I w- yeah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor your time commitment because you, you have a big job here. And uh, That's what some people say. That's what some people say. I can only imagine. I just, you know, just talking to the young woman who led us into the conference room, I said, how long you been here? How long has Pam been here? And I said, so uh, how, how's she doing here? And she just pointed to the decor and said, this wasn't here before Pam got here. And oh. I know from Disney, all your home yeah. furnishings, and all, I said, yeah. oh yeah, this has got Pam's touch to it. Aww. So wherever you go, you bring that, right? Yeah. It's, it's a quality of how you carry yourself, mm. how you see yourself, and you're willing to extend that out to others. Mm. So and I just want to thank you. And as soon as we turn these mics off, I'm going to give you a big hug. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks, I enjoyed Pam. it. And um, I'm glad I could do it. Okay, kiddo. Mm.